Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 66. This week's feature, if you like Carcassonne, try out these games. We'll also be talking about Skyfall, Battle Merchants, Tumbling Dice, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, Imperial Soul Twin Shadows, and Battle Bars. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. And as you finally hear, the gang is back together. Welcome, everyone, to the episode. We're so glad to have you join us here this week. So on this episode, we're going to talk about, if you like Carcassonne, try these next step games. We also have our acquisition disorders, our at-the-table, and some really interesting extras for you this week. So let's get started. Now, everyone knows that International Tabletop Day just recently passed. Did anyone get a chance to get out there and game this past weekend? Yes, I did. Had a great time here in uh, the local store in Bennington, Vermont. The, the owner, Keith, even uh, ordered a, a special promo pack. So there were a lot of great giveaways. Uh, the folks at Tabletop, Wishbone, I left her home, so she's complaining. She doesn't want me to talk about it. Oh, she wanted to go to International wanted, Tabletop Day. Yeah, they didn't have any special cat games. Um, kittens in a Blender they had there in the game <laughs> library at the store we played, and she would not have liked that. Tabletop did a great job of promoting this and letting people know where there were special events. We even had a number of people from out of town who happened to be in Bennington that weekend who, who popped in. My nephew scored a great Felicia Day promo card for Dead of Winter, and now all he needs, he says, to complete it is the Dead of Winter game. So <laughs> we'll have to get that for him for his birthday. But they did have that as part of the promo pack, the giveaway. So uh, I'm looking forward to next year's. Uh, I think it was a great way to promote the, the hobby among all levels of gamers. So great time. Yeah, I got a chance to play a lot of games this past weekend at Maelstrom 2015. This was a double exposure big gaming convention that had open gaming so this past weekend i got to play a lot of games but i'm gonna hold on a little bit and talk about that at our at the table shout it from the tabletops sir you're gonna need to get down from there shouting it from the tabletop you know about cards against humanity and uh, the latest promo idea that they had to sell an island as part of their uh Christmas charity. There was a, a big holiday mystery pack that people purchased, and then they would donate a certain amount to, to charity. And as a bonus to the purchaser, they would get a plot of land on an island in Maine. It was, it was a lot of fun, raised a lot of money. Everybody loved it, except for the neighbors in Maine who have filed complaints and threats against Cards Against Humanity. For for subdividing their island into a quarter million pieces, and they're afraid yeah. that I guess a quarter million people are going to start trooping up there and want to use their island like it's some great big timeshare. <laughs> so they're they're threatening fines of upwards of twenty five hundred dollars a day for each violation, each of two hundred and fifty thousand violations. So it, it's just nuts. April fifteenth was the deadline. Um, we're recording this before right before the 15th, so we don't have a resolution to report. Go to the internet and find that out, but I think the story is just nuts. 
Well, I think that if anybody has some choice words to <laughs> tell them, I think it's Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that Cards Against Humanity was so effective at raising money for litigious neighbors? <laughs> That's it. God. Um, it sounds like I, I would love to go up there. I wish I had contributed, but man, I just want to go up there and see what the fuss is all about. That is wild. Um, but meanwhile, from what I've read online, it appears that Cards Against Humanity was planning to use the island for a scavenger hunt. They were going to hide things around there. Um, they're very playful people. Some news from the West Coast. The dock worker strike we, we heard about, it was over a couple months ago. It was all settled, and everybody's back to work unloading all these ships with precious games from China. Well, if you're waiting for games from China, you're still waiting for games from China because now that they're off the ships, they're sitting on the docks waiting for trucks and trains and other forms of transportation to, to, to bring them. So there's still a backlog, and it's still going to take a while. This has really gummed things up terribly. So be patient. You're going to get all your good stuff. Um, also, uh, some follow-up from some news a few months ago. Back in November, London welcomed its first board game cafe called Drafts, spelled Droughts, of course. I, I think I mentioned almost all of them. There are about 10 articles in a week. It was huge in London. But the real world has intruded at last. That store, Drafts, was broken into um, just uh, about a week ago, and quite a bit of cash was taken from them. Um, they're closed right now, but uh, they plan on, you know, getting everything cleaned up. That I hope they can recover from. And and now I guess it got so much attention and became so successful that it's now a target for thieves. Hope they were insured. And uh, finally, one other item uh, from the New Yorker. Uh, it, they posted a great article the other week called "The Hottest New Board Games," and I actually got quite a chuckle from. People posting about that article because they hadn't read it. They thought, oh, great. It's another great article about some of, you know, Catan and all these other wonderful games. But no, it was a great humor piece. And I encourage you to look that up. New Yorker's content is easily accessible online. Uh, I just wanted to read one particular game that they were reporting on. And it was called, uh, let me see, How Splendid. Experience the majesty of Victorian England as a member of the burgeoning middle class. Take a walk in the park, host teas, and enjoy evenings at the theater, but beware. Danger lurks at every turn in the form of devastating shame points, which can be racked up by having the wrong china pattern, smiling improperly, uttering the word leg in public, or committing any of the thousands of other infractions detailed in the longest rule book in board game history. Losers are encouraged to avoid polite society. Winners feel hollow and insecure i really capture the feeling of life in victorian london i would play that game definitely there are a few other really funny uh, entries in that um just a quick very quick sampling of uh news that i am privileged to shout from the tabletop back to you all right thanks drew so now from the news to our acquisition disorders and now our acquisition disorders acquisition disorders that's crazy only needs the base game nothing else but the base game the base game and the expansion see nothing else just the base game and the expansion and the promos the base game and the expansion and the promos and of course the upgraded components why wouldn't you have the upgraded components so the base game the expansion the promos and the upgraded components see that's not too much but maybe uh, all right know. guys what do you have for us this week anthony anything on your acquisition disorder radar uh so i you know i've been on maybe half the episodes this year between uh, the multitude of 
pestilence and disease. <laughs> I keep telling you to stop playing that LARP pandemic episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun when you recover. Um, <laughs> so the, the funny part about that is I feel like the episodes I have been on when we do acquisition disorders, all I talk about is Star Wars. Um, <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. It's a, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, there's Imperial Assault, which was the focus of my uh, love and affection for most of the fall. I uh, got that for Christmas. And then there was all of the individual expansions that came for it, uh, I guess, like last month. But they were supposed to come out in January. So that was on my list for a very long time. And they just announced their first, like, boxed expansion for Imperial Assault. So um, obviously we knew a lot of stuff's going to come for this. The first boxed expansion coming six months after the full game comes out. I'm sure we'll see another one at Gen Con. So this game's going to get so much stuff. And I'm going to get it all. Because it's amazing. (laughs) This first one is Twin Shadows. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about it, other than the fact that it has Boba Fett on the cover and does not include Boba Fett in the box, (laughs) which is hilarious. Um, I'm not really sure why they thought that would be a good idea. Turns out that the marketing department's on the dark side of the force, I guess, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) It makes zero sense. Um, There's two new heroes. The heroes in this game are not, you know, characters from... The movie's proper. Usually those are separate characters who kind of come in and help out. Uh, it says 10 new sculpted figures. Uh, I know that those generally heavy Stormtroop and Tusken Raiders, along with the new uh, heroes. So no Boba Fett in the box. There is a Boba Fett expansion, so expansion to the expansion, that you can buy separately, like the same thing they did with Han Solo or Chewbacca. And then there's a C-3PO and R2-D2 double pack. No idea what they're going to do because... Obviously, they have all the firepower, but they are coming for their allies to some degree. And then I feel like there's two more. Kane Somos villain pack. I have no idea who that is. And, <laughs> but obviously, there'll be a lot more over the, over the course of the year. So for me, expansion, cool, new scenarios, etc. Boba Fett, awesome. R2-D2, awesome. Really, just any more Imperial Assault, awesome. That's that's where I'm at. With, with the exception of the expansion box, when everyone thinks Boba Fett's in the box, opens up the box, and then a, and a million voices cry out, and then is silenced <laughs> as they do not find Boba Fett inside. Yeah. And it better say expansion in really big letters across the top, because you know Star Wars fans are going to look and like, ooh, a Boba Fett game. And then they're going to buy it and A, find out it's an expansion for another game that costs 100 bucks, and B, there's no Boba Fett in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Double sad. Uh, if only you knew the power of the Star Wars IP. <laughs> <laughs> I will buy anything. What do you mean I can't do anything with it? <laughs> and I think it's only a Star Wars IP where there's an expansion for R2-D2 for your battle game. And you're like, yeah, I want R2-D2 as part of my team. <laughs> hey, R2-D2 I'm okay with. He could fight. C-3PO. Oh, that's true. He's usually hiding in a closet or broken into pieces. I'm not really sure what value he has. R2-D2 is a veteran of multiple wars. <laughs> like, he was on the battlefield of multiple wars on the front line. <laughs> he, is a, he has won, like, medals for multiple governments for saving planets. <laughs> I'm cool with R2-D2. Yeah. The first, like, ten minutes of uh, Revenge of the Sith was awesome. <laughs> that's all of the prequels that i will give a thumbs up to but it was r2d2 kicking some butt so i'm cool with it. 
So you're saying you purchased that game and the the miniature you're looking for wasn't in it? It'll be All I could think of were Alec Guinness's words when he was in the game store. These aren't the miniatures you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, Star Wars reference. Star Wars reference. <laughs> Before we, this becomes a complete Star Wars episode, which we would love it to be a Star Wars episode, let's throw it over to Daniel. How about you, Daniel? Any acquisition disorders this week? Well, now I really want to watch Star Wars, but... <laughs> right? But right. just sort of a state of being for me, so I'm, I'm used to that. You know, there's hungry, thirsty, and wanting to watch Star Wars. These are basic moods of, of existence. <laughs> the thing that's most appealing to me right now, though, the thing that's most drawing my attention is a Kickstarter called Battle Bards, which is fantasy audio for your tabletop gaming sessions and at first i was thinking that this was kind of a silly idea because you know while i like having all sorts of accessories for my gaming i was like ah, an audio system a bunch of clips it's going to be hard to manage all of that uh, but when you take a look at their kickstarter which i suggest you do you'll see that they have some really good ideas for how to organize this all and they've let me sort of preview some of what they've done in the, in the past, and it's really good quality audio. And when I think back on DMing in the past, one of the most difficult experiences for me, one of the things I have the most trouble doing, is communicating what sound people hear without giving it away, right? You want to say that you hear a whooshing, or you don't want to say you hear wings, because that lets you know what's coming. You want to have, like, a flapping noise, but even that's a little bit giving it away. And it's hard to get to a place where you can give them enough information so it doesn't feel like you withheld important information from the players while leaving there to be room sort of guesswork about what's going on. And that's where Battle Bards really shines. You can put together these sequences of, you know, castle at night, castle at night... A uh, storm coming and then suddenly explosions and a horrible scream as a building collapses, right? And that's a pretty good way to shake your players into something's happening. And so I think Battle Bards is really going to be a fantastic opportunity for the hardcore DMs out there who are looking to add more uh, depth and immersion to their gameplay because it lets us access a sort of auditory range that you're not normally able to access as a DM, right? You can't Unless you're just really good at making noises, you're not going to be able to pull it off. Uh, and these are really exceptional audio. So I, I suggest everyone takes a look at this Battle Bard Kickstarter campaign. Is this, uh, is this going to require the skills of a DJ in order to, to manipulate a campaign auditorially? Or is this going to be real simple to use? It looks like it's pretty darn simple in the final version and even the sort of temporary version I'm playing with, which is very rudimentary right now, uh, works fine. It's not difficult to learn or manage at all. And the mixer they've got set up as one of the things you can play for is looks fantastic. It looks very mm -hmm. intuitive. And it really does add a lot, right? The whole... You're on the battlefield. If you're just sitting there and talking with your fellow players about strategy, et cetera, et cetera, you get this idea that nothing's happening. But if you have in the background the sound of fireballs you know, colliding into walls and buildings collapsing and armaments clashing, it'll bring that feeling of things are happening right now. You need to react. Sense of urgency. Yeah. Right. Does it have any coconuts that clack together and sound like horses? You know, I'm not sure, but it does have an incredibly <laughs> exhaustive list of one type of weapon 
hitting any given type of armor, which is really cool. Like, you can have claws hitting plate mail, spears hitting chain mail, just an immense range. Does it have any sword swipes that look brutal but turn out to be only a scratch? You know, I'm I'm not sure. I'm sure you could put that in there, though, if you really wanted to. I'm mm. sure you can Does make it, it happen. Any shrubbery sounds? Any Are there shrubbery. any? I need I need some shrubbery. Shrubbery sound. I feel like the sound of a shrubbery is just silence. I don't I don't think shrubbery have like a mating call or anything. Okay. That would actually be horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> the it, the it, sound of mace hitting watermelons for the Gallagher RPG. Mm. There we go. This sounds like a silly, silly app, but <laughs> might be worth it. So would you recommend people go out and buy this uh, I'd and, recommend and support they, it? I'd recommend they go and take a look. If you are okay. a serious DM and you DM frequently... I recommend that you seriously consider funding this. Now, there are some people and some groups who find audio to be distracting. I've never been in that group. I usually find it to be the other way around. I, I find it improves my immersion. But if you find it audio to be distracting, it doesn't matter how good the audio is. It'll just be a really high quality distraction. But if you're the kind of person that you as a DM enjoy having audio backing and you think your players would too... This is probably the best quality D&D audio source out there. It's going to be better than putting in your Lord of the Rings soundtrack for the 50th time. It's going to be better than pulling together a bunch of stuff online. So I highly suggest you take a look at it and consider funding it. DJ DM or DJ (laughs) D&D. All right, so that's everything for our Acquisition Disorders. And now, at the table with BGA. So, I was talking about Maelstrom 2015 this past weekend. And I got to play an an enormous number of games this week. But I want to talk about some of the new games I got to play and kind of clue you in on the fun there. So, first off, I got to play Skyfall. Now, this was a print-and-play version. It's not available in the U.S. yet, but it is coming. So, eventually, we'll get the full version of it which includes some outstanding artwork that you'll put in the middle of the table. Now, Spyfall is, I would guess, a bit of a deduction game. Everyone gets a card, and what you do in the game is everyone is part of, like, let's say this organization, somewhat evil, somewhat legally distinct from James Bond kind of thing, and then one character gets a card that says Spy on it. So the... The mechanic about the game is everyone's going to ask questions of each other to try to figure out which one which one of the players is the actual spy. Now, the spy does not know what location he or she is in, while everybody else does know. So, in the game, if you are one of the spies, you want to kind of like you know, fake it that you know where you're at and what's going on and not give away that you're completely clueless about the situation. If you're part of the mass of the all the other people, then what you want to do is ask questions to try to find out who the spy is, but not give away too much information about the location. Because what the spy can do is announce that they know where they are, say the location, and win the game. On the other hand... What the other players can do is accuse somebody and point them out as a spy. So if the spy picks out the right location, they win. If everybody else picks out who the spy is, they win. Sounding like a combination of, what is it, Werewolf and 
Letters from Whitechapel. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's a very simple game. Um, I enjoyed playing this game. It was nice to have a group of people that really got into the game. The problem that I found with the game was that people were asking the same vague questions over and over again and people giving the same vague answers uh, over and over yeah. again. So there was a sense of people maybe not playing as closely to the rules as they probably should be or trying to find their way around the rules. And another thing about the game that I was pretty surprised about was the spy won most of the time. So I thought the spy would be picked on each and every time since everybody else knew the location, but a lot of times the spy won. So for a social party, you know, somewhat deduction game, it's worth a play. It's a very, very, very light party game. So if that's your thing, you'll probably like this game. For everybody else, you're probably not going to find enough weight to this game to keep you interested. Ah, okay. Another game that I got a chance to play was Battle Merchants. Now, this is your typical Americlash game, but from a different perspective. In this game, you play one of the Battle Merchants, and your job is to create weapons... And then sell these little kind of token weapons to different sides, different factions, different slash races in order for them to battle out. Now, you don't care about who wins. You just care that they buy your weapons and that they keep using them. So, Just like any it, good arms merchant, right? <laughs> that's pretty much true. Um, it's very cartoony. It's very light. It's very fun. It's very comical, at least the artwork and the, the tokens. And you're basically building axes, maces, swords, and hammers. Your battle merchant will start with two weapons that they can craft to start off with and a reward tile, which means that they already have a certain allegiance with a race. So you're going to have your dwarves, you're going to have your orcs, you're going to have your hobgoblins, you're going to have a whole bunch of different races. This game plays up to four people, and basically you're going to get your money to start with. You're going to pay the money to craft a weapon. You're going to put it on one side or the other side of the faction. And then as the game goes on, other people will put weapons there. Depending on the crafting level, which is these cards that you pick up throughout the game, your weapons are going to get stronger and stronger. If your weapon is stronger than someone else's weapon, their weapon breaks, you get that as a victory point, and then your weapon continues to gain you money throughout the game. Now, since this is a, an Americlash game, there's a lot of randomness to it. So there's going to be these kingdom cards that you're going to be able to choose from throughout the game that's going to give you special abilities, which are fun. But the problem is, is because they are so random that what I found in my games was that someone just got lucky and was able to pick up some cards that gave them an incredible lead, and they were able to upgrade their weapons from basic to these Vorpal weapons that scored them a lot of money throughout the game. So I try to play very strategically, almost like a Eurogamer, playing an Americlash type of game. So I was able to get very close, but just because of a random drawing of cards, it kind of imbalanced the game a little bit. So Battle Merchants is probably worth the play, but just like Skyfall, maybe just one play for your, you know, your hardcore gamers. Um, or even if you're Euro gamers, it's just a little unbalanced. It's a little random to keep you coming back for more. But it's a fun, light, interesting game, and it's worth at least one play. Right. Uh, another game I got a chance to play, and one game that I actually was looking at on Kickstarter, was Tumbling Dice. This is a dexterity game that's basically made up of five different levels of this wood board. And what you do in the game is you get four D6s, 
And on each turn, a person will take one of these D6s, have to hit a certain point on the board closest to them. And as the game title says, the dice goes tumbling down the board. And depending on where it lands in the board, there's a multiplier. So if it lands in the first spot, it's zero, one for the next, two for that, three if you go on, and then four for these little, little tiny sections. Now, let's say your die roll shows the six pips on top, and it's in the three area. So you're going to get 18 points, three times six. Now, everybody else can try to knock you out or get their dice kind of strategically rolled. But since it is a dexterity game, and since it is dice literally going down a plate of wood, there really isn't much strategy or depth to it. It's just having fun chucking some dice. You know, we had fun with it. It was an interesting game. I got a chance to play it. I was. It's really nice to look at. It's nice quality wood. The dice are pretty standard. I was able to score some outrageous points completely by accident, rolling the dice and getting to the four section. But, you know, if you happen to be in a party atmosphere and you see tumbling dice, I would recommend, you know, trying it out. It doesn't have much, you know, depth or strategy or tactics or even, like, gameplay. It's not Crokinole. It's Hmm. not a usual dexterity game. I mean, it's throwing a die down a couple of wood plates. So whatever happens, happens. Um, that being said, the dies actually do stay somewhere on the board. There were dies that went off the board, obviously, but from the look of it, you think that every die you throw down there is just going to go, you know, in a completely random direction, and you can kind of somewhat aim it. So, tumbling dice is worth a play, but I'm going to say it's definitely not worth a buy. We got bored of it very quickly. Hmm. Okay. And the final game that I got a chance to play was. The Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Ah, now, this was a game. Yeah. yeah. This is a really fun game. This is by Ted Alsbeck, you know, our our fantastic designer of Suburbia. And we're a big fan of Suburbia. And I was so excited to get the castles out there to the point where I was running around the convention going, hey, hey, is anyone, anyone playing this? I, I saw this being played. Are you guys going to play this again? Are we going to play this? Can I, can I play? So if you played Suburbia, this game isn't very different than that. With the exception of you're going to have a marketplace for the tiles. Now, if you played Suburbia, you know that you're going to be selecting a tile. You're going to place it in part of your tableau. And depending on how it is placed, it will trigger other tiles in your tableau. Same exact thing here in Castles. But what's a little different here is instead of just purchasing a tile and paying the additional market price as the tile moves down the market... What you're going to do each round is there's going to be a master builder. The master builder is the person who sets the price for the tiles. So if you think that another player really needs a tile and they have a lot of money, you probably want to put that tile higher to the left so that this way this tile will cost them more money to purchase it. So you can, you know, extensively make tiles out of their reach if they don't have enough money but you want to put it in such a spot where you do get money because that's the money that you're going to earn in order for yourself to buy tiles later in the game the game is colorful it's light it's fun it doesn't have a heavy kind of feel as far as building a castle because the rooms are you know just pretty standard they're round they're squares they're rectangles Um, but the expansion that's supposed to come out secrets is going to add moats. So it's really going to look a lot more like a castle when that expansion comes out. The game plays very quickly. It has these final bonus tokens, just like Suburbia, where everyone's going to try to 
reach those levels. But unlike Suburbia, there's a first, second, third, and fourth place winner on those. So you will score something, unlike Suburbia, where you could get totally blocked out. There's also bonus cards that will be just for you that you can pick out during the game. But what's really interesting about this game, too, is each of these rooms is going to have doorways. If you're able to connect those doorways with other rooms where the doorways match up and you're able to match up all the doorways, you get an additional bonus. And there's a little player card that lets you know what those bonuses are. And that's the really fun part of the game. And it's actually thematic. So, for example, if you have a sleeping quarters, you don't want to put it next to an entertainment room. Because the entertainment room, since it's making noise, will keep the people who are trying to sleep awake. So you'll actually score negative points if you do something like that. So there's a lot of these different kind of combinations where you can kind of put things in. And the castle looks a little crazy as far as the floor plan is going. But it's a fun game. It's a buy. This game is a buy. If you like tile placement games, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. Or you like Euro games, or you like Suburbia. Or you just like to have a good, fun time with some colorful, interesting tiles. Castles of Mad King Ludwig is definitely for you. You're mad for this game, aren't you? I am totally mad for this game. I can't wait for the expansion. It's an instant buy. So if you had to pick either Castles of Mad King Ludwig or Suburbia, which would you pick? Don't do this to me, man. Don't do this to me. You have a very <laughs> small bag, Chris. You can only fit one game in it. Well, you know, Maybe this would be a, a versus. Maybe we'll do a versus on this. Uh, yeah, well, let's let's yeah let's hold this off to a versus because I like to get all you guys to get a chance to play this game. Mm-hmm. But uh, the expansion for castles is very similar to the expansion for suburbia, those border tiles. So it really adds a lot to the game. So let me get secrets out to the table, and then we'll see how those kind of come together. Because I feel like this game definitely needs a little bit more, and I think the moats and the additional tokens, these swan tokens that come with the game will add a lot more to the game. But until then, go out and buy this game. Buy it like buy like multiple copies of this and just give it to random people. That'd be really nice. Yeah. Can it's I a, be one of those random people? You may be one of these random people. I don't know, I'm mad. You know what might happen, Anthony, is I might buy an extra copy of this game to give away to someone and then walk right up to you and then give it to some random person because I'm mad, man. It's a mad game. Mad. <laughs> <laughs> and now bga's feature review so this week's feature we're going to talk about if you like carcassonne try dot 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 now the dot 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 in this feature is all about the next step games carcassonne is a fabulous entry-level gateway game that really everyone should play at least at some point It has so much wonder to it. It has so much color. And it's one of those games that, you know, is a little bit underneath the radar. People generally really like this game. But usually when you talk about what are the games that really, you know, expanded board gaming to a broader audience. You'll hear about your general Ticket to Rides. You'll hear about your Catans. But usually for some reason, and I'm not sure why that is, Carcassonne is a little bit beneath the surface. So what we wanted to do this week is talk about Carcassonne and talk about all the great games and the mechanics that come from this outstanding tile placement game. It's a lot of fun. It has an endless number of expansions, tiny little expansions and big expansions, and even a catapult for some strange reason. In addition, it has an outstanding app 
So if you want to play Carcassonne, you just can't find a copy, which you probably should find it everywhere because this is kind of a standard game, you could check out the app. This is probably one of the best implementations of a board game. It's a lot of fun and really an outstanding game. So with that said, we wanted to highlight three different aspects for you that if you've played Carcassonne and you do love it, these are things that you might want to take to the next level. So I'm going to start off with Anthony talking about civilization building, a little bit about how Carcassonne does that, and then what games you can kind of take that to the next level. So one of the elements of Carcassonne is the civilization building. Now in this game, what you're going to be doing is placing tiles in this tableau that everyone's putting together. Now in the game Carcassonne, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be given a tile. Now this tile, along with the meeples, and let me just stop here for a second. If you know meeples, you owe the whole idea of meeples to Carcassonne. Carcassonne is the granddaddy of the meeple. Carcassonne developed the meeples, the my people, as a game mechanic. So at the start of the game, you will have meeples of your color. You will have a tile. You'll place a tile down as part of a larger tableau. Now, depending on the tile that's placed, and in the base game, it's pretty simple. So there's going to be farmland, there's going to be roads, and there's going to be castles. Now, depending on the tile you place down, you may have one element, you might have two, or you might even have all three elements. So what you're going to do is place that tile somewhere as part of the tableau, and then take your meeple. Now, what you do with the meeple is really interesting. If you put a meeple on the road, then that meeple becomes a robber. And once that road is complete, you will score a point for every section of that road once that road is complete. So you can't take your meeple off until that road is complete. In addition to that, if you have a tile that has some you know, green grass, some of this farmland, and you lay your meeple down flat, like as if it was lying and looking up at the sun, then that meeple becomes a farmer. And that farmer is going to score you points for as large as that farm grows and is not cut off. In addition to that, if you place your meeple in one of the castles section and that castle is complete, you will score points for that castle and that meeple will become a knight. Now, you, there is some scoring as far as partial scoring. So there's a lot of ways to score. It's a very simple game. And as I said, there's an endless number of expansions to this game to kind of really broaden it out. It plays well with kids. It plays well with family. And it's a lot of fun, so it's definitely something you should check out. Now, the elements of that game can be brought to the next level, and a lot of games use these elements to great ability. So one of the great things as far as building this tableau up of a medieval kind of civilization is creating a civilization for yourself. Now, in Carcassonne, you're building one together in which you're scoring points, but there are games in which you can build a great civilization at the table, either for yourself or with other people. So with that said, Anthony's going to talk about just some civilization games. If you love civilization building, you should check out these games. Yeah, for sure. Um, civilization games are, you know, one of my favorite genres. And there are definitely different tiers if we're talking about civ builders. So... You know, if you're going from Carcassonne as a game you're playing, it's like one of your favorite games, you're just getting into the hobby, uh, I'm not going to throw Through the Ages or Civilization the board game at you. Some of these big, heavy civilization-building games can take 
first off, they take many, many hours. So games like Nations or Age of Empires 3, which just recently got kickstarted as a new version, these are super long, decently complicated, amazing, but uh, pretty in-depth games. But there are some also some really great games that kind of find that middle ground. So they kind of hit that next step stage as Civilization games. And, you know, whether you are ready or not for a game like Terra Mystica or Through the Ages, which are both amazing, there are some others that you can have fun with that kind of take that same theme and idea and run with it. One of my favorites that did really well in our uh, tabletop bracket, by the way, is Race for the Galaxy. Also, it's a slightly more fun cousin role for the galaxy. Both of these games... It's a little abstract what you're doing, but you're building out a civilization, you're settling planets and different developments, and kind of building out, you know, your own tableau against, you know, whoever you're playing against, utilizing either the cards in Race for the Galaxy or the dice in Roll. And uh, the game, while not necessarily super, super entry-level friendly, is relatively intuitive and easy to play once you get past, you know, kind of that initial hump of, of teaching it. Uh, or learning it, depending on what side of the fence you're on. Definitely an awesome game. Whichever, you know, variety you enjoy. Uh, if either is available, I would definitely recommend playing that one. Another one that leans a little more towards the entry level, and I I, I can say that with absolute <laughs> confidence because uh, it was one of the first games I played. I know it was one of the first games Daniel played with us as a group. I think we've introduced it to a dozen other people as kind of the first, at least in this genre, uh, of Civ building games, and that's Seven Wonders. Woo! Um, <laughs> it's it's another tableau building game. It's you're not getting that full theme of having a board full of meeples running around fighting each other as you might in some of these more expansive games. But you are building a civilization, and it has a lot of different options, and you're going to have different uh, ways of playing each time. Uh, whether you go straight pacifist or you go technology. Or you build up enough military to draw some points there. Um, it's it's a really good game in that sense. Got a couple, three now, really good expansions that kind of build out on them a little bit. And there's a new version of this coming, uh, who knows when, um, that we've seen prototypes floating around for. So it's, it's a game that hasn't quit just yet. And it definitely deserves to keep moving because it's amazing. And then one more game I wanted to recommend, another tableau builder, just sensing a theme here, I bet, and that's uh, Imperial Settlers. It's one of my favorites from last year. So this is a game where you're building out a tableau of different types of buildings based on whatever race you picked from the um, from the beginning of the game. It's another game, a drafting game, and to some degree, resource management as you draw different resources based on whichever uh, civilization you're using. It's It doesn't match up to specific civilizations per se, even though some of them are, but it is interesting and each of the decks is asymmetrical, so you get kind of that sense of things. And you're building out your own tableau. One of the interesting things about this one that's a little bit different is that you can directly impact other players uh, with some of the mechanics, so that's something that you maybe won't be able to do in uh, a couple of other games I mentioned. So the civilization category of games is huge. There's so many good games here. And they really kind of have a diff- a spectrum for you to draw from. So if you want lightweight games, there's plenty of games at that entry level. You know, games like Catan or Carcassonne. Um, the kind of the medium weight games like Imperial Settlers or Race for the Galaxy or Roll for the Galaxy or Alien Frontiers. Or, you know, the heavy games like Clash of Cultures or Civilization the Board Game. Like wherever you're at as a gamer, there's something for you. 
Uh, it's one of the reasons I like this genre so much, and it just captures thematically. It's always so much fun. Well, that's great. And one of the other great features about Carcassonne is the area control. Another interesting element about Carcassonne is the area control. So as you're placing your tiles down and you're placing your meeples on your tiles, you may be battling for control of that castle or the cloisters or even that road. Now, if the tiles are not touching, so if I have a meeple in one place and you have a meeple in another part of a castle that's not connected, and then all of a sudden another piece goes in the middle and connects everything together, now you have an area control battle. So the most meeples wins control of that area. So Drew, tell us a little bit more about area control games that use that kind of majority rules mechanic. I like Carcassonne uh, because it's... It's a groundbreaking game. It serves as a great introduction to more interesting games. And the, the, the mechanic that I love the best, one of them, is area control. I, I like that feature of Carcassonne. Uh, and the fact that it's a modular board that just grows out piece by piece. You're, you're expanding it differently every time. Area control games come in different types. Um, I think of a pure area control game. It's not about pushing opponents out and, and taking their territory. It's just about you establishing your territory. You're there. You're the one first, and then you're trying to play so that you can maximize the flag that you planted. They're just thinly disguised abstract games. Now, resource gathering area control adds a layer to that, and it, it adds an appeal to the game that I just never really got from Carcassonne. It just seemed very simplistic. But if somebody if somebody played that for the first time and said, you know, I like this, but I want something more, then I think a very good game to take them to the next level of area control is South Seas Carcassonne. I think that is the best of the Carcassonne family because it adds the resource gathering feature to it. You're not just putting your person down and claiming an area, but you're doing it strategically because you're looking for different resources, fish bananas, shellfish, and then you turn those resources into points. So you're, you're actually controlling area for a reason. You're not just trying to get the biggest area or the longest road. You're trying to get the most resources. And then you can take this to the next level. If they like that, the person could try a strategic area control, which is about adapting to what other players are doing looking for weakness in their game, and trying to maximize your play. If, if, the, if your opponent stretches too far, tries to get too much area, you counterattack. Risk is a very good example for that. But I think uh, the best example of that kind of area control game is Small World, very popular game with many expansions. You're not changing your approach to capturing territory. You're actually changing your race, your abilities in midstream. It, it mo and it also introduces another element missing in the original Carcassonne, and that is timing. It's important to grow your area control at the right speed, not to overreach, and it's critical to swap your soldiers out for a new race at just the right moment. There are only 10 rounds, and you basically lose a round every time you swap races. So you're going to have a large area, you're going to lose it, but then you're going to come back possibly stronger than ever and grab even more territory. It's like taking a pit stop in an auto race. Do it at the right time, and you can leap ahead of the pack. It's an exciting area control game. And then there's 
what I call an ultimate area control game, and it's about fighting other players to the death for prime <laughs> real estate. You're not just trying to, to capture a larger area, you're trying to capture the best area. And once your new gamer friends have made their way through Carcassonne, Southeast Carcassonne, and Small World, they're ready for the ultimate, and that is Dominant Species. It's an area control game in an evolving world where the terrain, where the area changes, as well as the species you control changes. It takes this area control mechanic to a whole new level by layering on a complex worker placement mechanic. Now, if, if they haven't played any worker placement games along this line and all they want is area control, Dominant Species may be a game too far. It may be a little bit more complex, but it, it takes that idea of the fight for survival over every inch of land. You've got to control this area. You've got to pour your resources and add the timing element. You you got to move at the right time. You have to develop your species at the right time. It's it's very exciting. I think it's it's the ultimate. It's not the best area control game, but it's one where all these other elements, the things that you're learning through the gateway and through the progression of games, it puts it to the test. Can you grab this territory? Can you hold on to it? Can you become the dominant species? So that's what I recommend. Southeast Carcassonne, Small World, Dominant Species as a great progression of area control games. Well, that's outstanding. I love all those games. Now, one of the final and the most important elements about Carcassonne is the tile placement element. So as I said, when you start the game, you get this tile and you get to place it somewhere. And depending on where you place the tile, everything about the game changes. So I have three games that really implement that tile mechanic quite well. Starting from the lightest area, we're going to talk about Takanoko. Now, we talked about this game previously, and we actually had a versus battle versus Tokaido. Now, Takanoko is about placing these different bamboo fields, and these they're really nice, beautifully colored hexagons. Now, depending how you place them, where you place them, you're actually going to score victory points just for placing the tiles. Now, in addition to that, you're going to move your panda around, you're going to move your farmer around, and you're going to grow bamboo. So growing the bamboo, moving the panda, and moving the farmer will also score you victory points. So it's a little bit of an upgrade from a meeple to a panda, but it's outstanding fun. And it's really a good gateway game to a next step game for your family and friends. So I absolutely guarantee you you're going to have a lot of fun with that game. Now, taking a little step higher is Alhambra. Now, Alhambra is often thought of as, I would guess, either a gateway game or a next step game. But if you haven't had a chance to play it, Alhambra is an outstanding tile placement game. Now, what you're going to do is very similar to Carcassonne. You are going to take a tile, and in this case, you're going to be purchasing tiles, and then you're going to place it as part of your Alhambra. And depending where you place it, because sometimes some of these places have walls, you're going to score victory points when the rounds come up to a certain scoring phase. It's a lot of fun. It's light. It's a small tableau building again, and you're building your own Alhambra. So you're taking that kind of family-style, grand civilization building to a much smaller city-building type of mechanic, but the tile placement is still key in that game. It's a lot of fun, and just like Carcassonne, it has almost an endless number of expansions. So I highly, highly recommend 
playing some Alhambra. Finally, I have a little bit of a heavier game like Drew called Glen Moore. Now, this game also implements a lot of the Carcassonne mechanics that we talked about previously. So what you're going to be doing in this game is, once again, purchasing these little square tiles, placing them as part of your tableau, and once again, you're going to have meeples in this game. So the meeples in this game are going to be chieftains in this game, so they're going to be able to score you points as part of your clan, depending on where they're placed. And some of the tiles have special abilities, like Carcassonne. So when you look at a number of the different expansions, some of the tiles have special mechanics that kind of connect together. But this game is a little bit heavier, and it's a lot of fun. And it's a Euro game that's kind of gone un under the radar a little bit. But it's something that you should check out once you kind of pass through Carcassonne and you're looking for something a little bit heavier. The Meeples do play a big part. This is a really fun game. We talked about this previously. I love this game, and it's a game that you should definitely check out if you've graduated to the heavy, heavy meeple tile placement of Carcassonne. All right, so that's all nine games. To take Carcassonne to the next step, we definitely want you to check out all of these games and enjoy the outstanding mechanics. One of the great things about board games is if a mechanic works out well or an element of the game is really great, or a genre is a lot of fun, or if it plays with a certain group of people, those things repeat over and over in other games. So while the gateway games are great, don't just stay there. Expand your options and take a look at these other outstanding games. All right, so that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek. Support us on Patreon so we can get some more of these outstanding episodes to you. This is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. And until next time, we'll save you your favorite meeple color at the table. As long as it's not green, because I play green. Uh, yeah, actually, now that I mentioned it, Anthony plays blue and Drew plays red and, yeah, Daniel plays yellow. So we will save you your favorite meeple color... As long as it's not green, blue, yellow, or red. <laughs>